and welcome to your RAF Mildenhall Protestant Parish Podcast. We pray that today's message inspires and encourages your heart. Get ready for a life-changing word from the Lord. Happy Sunday. We are here again, and you are stuck with me again. Oh my goodness. All right, we are about to uh, dive once again into the Word of God. It is good to see everyone once again on this morning. Uh, it's getting hot, isn't it? Yeah, and y'all still made it out. Isn't, isn't God good? Um, as we look to uh, move forward in this uh, sermon, I'm going to try to give you some time back to enjoy this wonderful weather while we got it. Okay, and so uh, with that, we want to dive straight into our scripture on today. All right. Y'all doing okay? All right. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and 26. Verse 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. If you was here last week, this might look familiar. It's because it's the same verse. All right. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. And the Bible reads, now it has happened on a certain day. As he was teaching, and this is Jesus teaching, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. But then, behold, men brought on, uh, men brought on, brought on, excuse me, men brought on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof of the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the mist before Jesus. Verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said to them, said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they all were amazed, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, he, we have seen strange things today. All right, all right. As we look to dive into this text, let us first pray together. God of heaven, we just ask that your spirit comes and moves in this place. Uh, we hope and pray uh, that your spirit speaks today, that you minimize the messenger and maximize and amplify the message. May it prick our hearts and hold us and keep us forever. And it is in your holy and precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Just a little bit of recap last week. We talked about this particular passage and we came from the idea or the sermon title. You missed it. 
you missed it. Uh, you may remember uh, that we were discussing and looking at the two things that Jesus did in this room. He uh, healed a paralyzed man, but he also forgave sin. And we don't want to miss what God is doing, the significant gifts and the significant things that God is doing in our lives every day. We must realize that God's gifts are more precious than anything we could achieve, earn, or have in this life. If we desire anything, we should desire the gifts that God gives. That's what we talked about last week. And on this week, we want to continue that sort of, okay? Uh, we want to look at that, but what happens once we receive those gifts, right? What happens when we receive those gifts? We, as believers, rejoice and, and praise God for his blessings. We uh, praise God for salvation and forgiveness of sin, right? As we should. But I want to ask the question and look at what happens after that. Today, uh, when we receive God's blessings, when we've been forgiven by God, uh, when we've been given things that we've prayed for and we see that has come to pass and we look back and say, uh, can we look back and say, you made it? You made it. And today, uh, that is the space I want to come from. You made it. Because a lot of times, if we're being honest, our culture is task-oriented, goal-oriented, right? We're trying to achieve something. We're trying to make something happen. Just think about it. Even when you're a young kid from early on, I don't know about you, but my parents were very hard on me. I wasn't always successful, but I needed to make the grade. Right. And so the next thing for me was passing this class or something like that on through high school, looking forward to graduation, graduate high school. That was the goal. And then next college. Right. And then next, start that career, land that dream job of yours. Right. Amen. Maintainers and security forces. Land that dream job. Get promoted in that job, make your way up the ladder, goal after goal, get married, have kids, get those kids out your house, amen, retire, and for those military folks, really retire, because most of us would get another job after that, and then re retire for the second time or third time, right? And then, if you're generous, you build up something to leave behind your kids, goal after goal after goal, and before you know it, Life is over. Before you know it, life is gone. And if we're not careful, we will fall into the trap of constantly going for each goal and nothing being good enough. We fall into the situation where we're constantly doing one thing after another, going to the next thing, never satisfied. And then life has passed us by. But I hear you. I know some people may say, chap, well, I don't, I don't want to be complacent. I shouldn't be stagnant. God doesn't want that for me, and I would agree. We shouldn't be complacent. We shouldn't be stagnant. And we don't want to fall into that trap of uh, being still 
and atrophying and, and no longer growing in our life. But once we've been blessed by God, what do we do then? We don't want to go too far to the left and you don't want to go too far to the right. What do we do when you've made it? Well, let's look at our text today. If you go to our text here in Luke chapter 5, we see that the author here, who is Luke, send a, send a name. Luke starts off swinging. In verse 17, he says that now what happened on a certain day that he, being Jesus, was teaching. And that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now, let's stop there. Let's just stop there. Jesus was teaching in a room full of people. We get this context if we look at, if we compare this to Mark chapter 2. The room's full, standing room only. People came from all over the place. And watch this. Jesus is teaching to teachers. Scholars, experts of faith, religion, tradition, and the law. In other words, these were the professors, the people that would be writing the books on how to do things and what things are. If you had a dictionary, they wrote it. And here Jesus is teaching them. Hmm. Now my question is, why are they there? They came from all over to fill this room. Why are they there? Now, we would like to think, I would hope, that they were there for good intentions. But if you read the, uh, the entirety of Luke chapter 5, you start to see that their intentions probably not so much. And if you just keep reading in this own passage, in this, his, this here passage, we see that they question Jesus for him forgiving sins. And this questioning is not for them to understand. This questioning is to challenge Now, it's so easy for us, it is, it's so easy for us to look at the Pharisees and we're like, oh, bad, bad Pharisees. Bad, bad Pharisees. Why would you do that? But I want to pull us back just a little bit. Because who were the Pharisees? These were the people that were religious and devout and pious. In other words, these folk church folk and a lot of times we can look at the Pharisees and say oh that's everybody else but really a lot of times the Pharisees are more aligns with us and so maybe just maybe there is something to gain here when we ask the question why we're here why are we here we see the Pharisees and the scribes came for all over to be with Jesus. 
Why are they there? But before we judge them too much, let's think about why we are here. Why do we come here? Why do we do this? I think that's a good question to ask. And honestly, it's not for me to judge. This is something for you, for all of us, to consider within our own hearts and minds. Are we here to check the box? Because we've been told that this is what we're supposed to do. Are we here because we're trying to earn something, hoping to achieve a certain goal? Maybe if I get my attendance up, I will get a ticket into heaven. Why are you here? You made it. You've been forgiven. You are loved by God. Why do we do what we do? To put things in perspective, I want to share something I've heard from a man named Alex Hormozzi, who's an entrepreneur who's been very successful. And he talks about something in an interview. He says that, what he says is very interesting. He says that um, we have to be careful to, we have to be careful when we are, putting finite rules when playing finite games, infinite games. You have to be careful about putting finite rules and playing infinite games. When we do that, what happens is we often find failure and we wonder why things aren't working. And he explains. In his opinion, he brings up the Vietnam War. He talks about the differences between the U.S., Achieving their goals and the Vietnamese. And he said they were fighting two different wars because the US, in his opinion, had certain goals they were trying to achieve. They had finite goals to reach. But the Vietnamese, they were playing a infinite game. They were playing the game of staying alive and no matter what, keep fighting by any means. And he says that when those who are playing an infinite game are met with those that are playing a finite one, the infinite always overcomes. Why is that relevant to keep in mind? He goes on to talk about certain things like marriage and starting a business. The goal wasn't to start a business. The goal is to stay in business. The goal isn't to get married. The goal is to stay married. The goal isn't to get in front of Christ. The goal is to be like Christ. A lot of times when we try to do these things, we are checking off the box. 
the goal isn't to get to heaven. The goal is to be like Christ. The result of being like Christ is heaven. And a lot of times we fail to sit back and examine if we are treating God like a celebrity or rich uncle. Why are we here? Why are we standing before God right now? Is it because we love God the way we say we do? Or are we expecting something at the end of this? Have we become so goal-oriented that we fail to see the purpose of living a life that is worth living? If we can pull some relevance from what this man has said, I would argue that maybe, just maybe, we should look to focus more on our everyday life and aligning ourselves more with Christ and falling in love with more with Christ than trying to get what Christ is, what, what comes with that, all the blessings and all the wonderful things. And I wonder oftentimes if God were to take that away, will we still love him like we say we do? If for whatever reason, God wasn't able to bless you the way that you want to be blessed, would you still say that you love him? The goal isn't to get married, it's to stay married. And a lot of times when we think about marriage, there's a thought about what we're going to get when we get married, when we get a spouse and all of these things going to happen. They're going to do this for me. They're going to make me so happy, yada, yada, yada. And then something happens and it's not so blissful anymore. But might I offer that the journey is just as good, if not better, than the destination. This man, this paralyzed man, gets up his bed and walks. That wasn't the end. That was the beginning. But let me tell you that my prayer and hope that no matter what side of the bed he was on, my hope was, my hope is, that he still would be faithful. And I hope that for every single one of us, because sometimes we fall into this space where I need this blessing before I'm willing to praise, praise God for it. I need to be given this before God, I'm willing to praise God and love God. That's a scary place to be in. Because if God flipped that and said, well, I'm going to need you to do this before I can love you. We all will be stuck.
I want to offer just for a second that maybe, just maybe, it is possible for us to appreciate the journey of walking with Christ, becoming more like Christ, instead of having a posture of we made it. I would argue that the Pharisees would argue that I'm not doing that. I don't think I know it all, but the evidence says otherwise. Here they are standing before Christ, so much so that the people that needed to be before Christ really needed there couldn't get there. And they were so busy, ready to question and to challenge Jesus that they were blocking the blessings of others. Why are you here? Is it because you made it? Is it because you're expecting something on the back end of this? Or is it something deeper? My hope and prayer is that this is a part of your journey with God. That every day is something that you're building with Christ. There's a movie by Pixar called Up. Some of you may have seen it. There's a movie called Up, and in this particular movie, there's, it starts off with a young boy that meets this girl. This boy is shy, doesn't really talk much, and he meets this girl who's extroverted, full of life, eager for adventure. And she drags him everywhere, does everything with him. And she shows him this book that she wants to fill up one day with all the pictures of all the places that she wants to go, her adventure book. One place in particular that she really wants to go is called Paradise Falls, if I'm not mistaken. And they go through their life, and they grow up, and they get married. She has filled his life with so much excitement, love, happiness, help, and encouragement, growing him in ways that he never thought. She filled his life with love of adventure, and so wanting to just give her a fraction of what she has given him, he promises to take her to this place, Paradise Falls. They get married, they start living life together, and you know, uh, almost immediately, when he makes this promise to her, Murphy shows up. Y'all know who Murphy is? Murphy shows up in full effect. Murphy's Law is this saying that you may have heard, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And so that's what happens. Without fail, Murphy shows up. They save up money, and then boom, car emergency. Has to break the jar and spend that money. They fill it back up, boom, hospital visit. Have to break the jar, spend that money. They fill it back up. Storm comes, tree falls on the roof. Boom, have to spend that money. All these things are happening in their life. Before you know it, they're old and gray. They're living life, though. And one day they're cleaning the house, and he realizes, oh, no. 
we haven't gone where I promised her to go. So in their old age, he goes to the travel office, buys a ticket, and is going to surprise her on their favorite hill, under their favorite tree, doing what they do, under having a picnic, something they did regularly. And she doesn't make it up the hill. The screen shows her, moves from that scene to her being in a hospital bed. And then it moves from that scene to her funeral. He never got to take her. And this makes him a very grumpy old man, which is where the movie kind of picks up. And you go through this journey of him and this uh, little boy trying to get to Paradise Falls. He does some things and he gets there. But at the cost of what? At this point in the movie, he uh, has sort of ruined his relationship has, uh, with the young boy who's supposed to be helping him. He has done some things that have been questionable, things that he probably wouldn't normally do. And he sits down and he opens the book. The book of his wife's pictures of her adventures. All the things that she wanted to do. He opens it up and he sees some things that he was shocked to see. All through the book, of all of her adventures are pictures of them. Pictures of them buying their first house. It was a fixer-upper because they didn't have a lot of money, but building it up. Pictures of them climbing to their favorite hill, sitting under their favorite tree, having picnics and watching clouds pass by. Them working at the zoo together, making kids laugh and smile. Their life was simple but it was a good one, filled with laughter, love, and adventure. And this whole time, he felt like he failed. And I wonder if he missed it. Did he spend his life trying to achieve something, or did he enjoy the journey? She did. I want to offer you today that maybe, just maybe, what is important is the journey with Christ. God has given you a gift. What do you do when you make it? It's a trick question. You haven't made it. It's a journey. Walk with Christ. Walk every day. Don't miss what God is doing each day. And your journey will lead to success. Now, like this old man, it may not lead you to Paradise Falls. But it may lead you to fall in love, to have so many adventures, and to live a life worth living. Allow God to do that with you today. We have to be careful not to fall into the world of the Pharisees where we think that we know it all. And these are scholars, experts, devout, pious people. Don't fall into that trap. We are all learning and growing. And that's the beauty of it. Allow yourself to do that. Grow with Christ. 
walk with Christ, live with and for Christ, and all these things will be added unto you. That's all I have for you, family. We pray that you are inspired and encouraged today. Join us next week for another life-changing experience.